This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Game of Thrones 2 Electric Bookaloo. I'm your host, Anthony. This week, Chad's back. We're up north and asking the question, where did things start to go wrong for John at the Wall? Then Steve and I cover the House of Black and White. And for my Bird's Eye View section, I will include an excerpt of my conversation with Dr. Ian McGuinness of the University of Highlands and Islands in Scotland. In that conversation, I will do my best to compare the Night's Watch to some of the medieval militaristic orders. And then Ian's going to set me straight on a few points. Without further ado, here is Dr. Chad Carmichael. Chad Carmichael. That's me. If you had to choose, would you want to be a ranger? A builder or a steward? Well, I want to say ranger because then you're one of the cool guys, but uh, rangers are putting their life at risk. And so, uh, you know, there's another part of me that says maybe you should choose a less dangerous position, right? And so uh, so I'm conflicted in, in short. Uh, what about you? I think that being a builder is best. Uh-huh. My feeling is that being a ranger is not just dangerous. Yeah. It's like going to seek out danger. It's like, right. Here are these people who their only crime is that they were born on the wrong side of this wall. And you got to go like, stir well, that's up not their shit. only crime. That's yeah. not their only crime. Let's be honest here. I Come mean, on. I mean, of... what's their, what's their crime? Their, their crime is that they were born on the wrong side of this wall. They live in a culture with institutionalized kidnapping of women. Yeah. There's a lot of murder and nonsense going on up in, among the wild. Yeah, there is a lot of murder and nonsense, but it's not like there's not murder and nonsense south of the wall. Yeah, sure. And the Night's Watch job is to go and harass the people north of the wall. That's my point. Right. Sure. And they're good at murder, right? So if let's say that there's a lot of murderous nonsense going on north of the wall. They're good at it. They're good at the right. murder. And you have to go harass the people who are good at murder. Yeah, that's that, right. I think it's wrongheaded. And I think that it's on top of that, it's you're just asking to be killed. Yeah. I mean, if your job is to go range through a haunted forest filled with like murderers and monsters. I mean, it's it sounds like a terrible job. It's not a good job. I think that being a steward is probably not the best idea. <laughs> well, as we talk about this, I'm realizing how I'm not really cut out for any of the three positions. <laughs> and that way I'm a little like Sam. Well, stewards do a lot of stuff. Stewards do yeah. a lot of stuff. I mean, they do everything I'm not, from, from I'm not cooking really to farming to, you know, chopping wood. I mean, I'm sure I could be, I'm sure I could you know, sweep some floors or something, but I'm, I'm not very good at that. Sort See, of thing. I think you're, you're selling yourself short. I've seen you chop wood before, Chad. You're, you're a pretty good wood chopper. You have not seen me chop wood. Sure. I, have. I don't remember that. Yeah. And, and, and I feel that I'm not good at chopping wood. So it's funny that you say that. I feel I have a memory of you chopping wood. I only recently got a really large ax last year because we, we got some extra firewood mm -hmm. because of the pandemic and mm -hmm. we wanted to have some more fires. And uh, and I was out there thinking that I would chop wood, and it's a lot harder than you think. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> it takes practice. <laughs> okay, maybe I just dreamt it. Yeah, I, I was dreaming of a shirtless Chad Carmichael out <laughs> chopping wood and eating pancakes. <laughs> sure. No, I think I'm builder, not good think at it. Definitely, so. you. I think that you would want to be a builder because you would learn. You would learn the craft. 
And you're very handy. You're a handy guy. You're good at that sort of thing. And I could see you as a builder. I think you'd be really helpful. Okay. Well, I would like to be a builder and you, you're saying you're more like Samuel Tarley. Yeah. I don't really fit into any of the three positions. And I think I'd be a lot happier as a, um, as a maester. So you would want someone to like go to maester Amon and say, look, this guy, he's, he's not good at much, but he likes to read and he can write a little bit and he's good with numbers. Take Chad under your wing. I mean, it makes me feel a little bit ashamed and I don't think I'm as cowardly as Samuel, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) but if I'm being honest, I don't think I'm really cut out to be a warrior. And I don't really think I'm cut out to be a steward or a builder. So I don't know where that leaves me. And, you know, I am I am a, a studious kind of person. So you are. But I will say this. If you had been born at a previous time. Yeah. Your height alone would bring certain expectations. Yeah. Like people would expect you to go out and poke some wildlings in the guts with your sure. pointy objects and whatnot. Right. No, I feel like this is an affliction of the, of tall people. Uh, people expect us to be good athletes and good at basketball. I don't like expect that. much. I just expect you to get things off the top shelf for me when I ask. <laughs> All right. I can do that. <laughs> and visit my dreams from time to time, shirtless with an axe. <laughs> that I, I can't promise. <laughs> I'm going to read the synopsis of this chapter. Uh, this is John's fifth POV chapter. Alistair Thorne announces that eight of the recruits have passed and will be allowed to take vows as men of the Night's Watch. The boys celebrate with wine, wrestling, and a snowball fight. That night, they are treated to a special feast and talk over the various callings within the Brotherhood. Halder hopes he will be a builder. Gren wants to be a ranger. Seemingly, no one wants to be a steward. But John is preoccupied with the plight of Samwell Tarley. He is convinced that Sam's life is in danger. Thorne, no doubt, will continue his attempt to beat the cowardice out of Sam. Worse still, Rast and Kudger might actually kill him. John rides out to let Ghost hunt and wonders if he should leave the wall behind before he takes his vows. But the notion is short-lived. Though after hours, he demands an audience with Maester Eamon. John tries to convince Eamon to take Sam under the Maester's wing and save him, from the designs of Alistair Thorne. So, Chad, would you like to talk about a character, a theme, a plot point, or shall you and I climb the ladder of chaos? I think it's a theme I want today. Ooh, good. I don't know if anyone's chosen a theme before. Yeah, you can tell me if this is a theme. Okay. Uh, It's um, the institution of the Night's Watch, and specifically the process of becoming, the motivations in the process of becoming a, of taking the black. That's a motif. A motif. Not a thing. I'm choosing a motif then. No, no, it's fine. It's totally fine. <laughs> All right, say it again, because I was winding up for my joke and I didn't quite All hear right. what you were going to uh, say. You had already decided whatever I was going to say was a motif. Yep. Um, so just the process of taking the black and then the, you know, some other institutional questions. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so one thing that stood out to me was just, you know, you're, you're sort of invited to think about John's decision to become a, a member of the Night's Watch in this chapter. And I mean, when he's thinking about running off and not doing it, I don't know about, about you, but I'm sitting there thinking, well, of course you should leave. I mean, yeah, it's right. just no kind of life for a promising young man. I mean, you have so much to offer and you're going to be up here in this group of, I think, a lot of criminals and well, and he's been able to see what, what the institution actually is now, right? Yeah. So yeah. you're right. Cr- he should leave, crumbling. right? He should leave. Yeah. He's going to be this one little shiny brick in this sort of crumbling wall is, is kind of what it seems like. Because it seems like he would make an excellent hedge knight if that were allowed. I mean, you can rise really high as a bastard, for instance. Like, yeah. you could be hand of the king. You could be normalized. You could be king right, one sure. day. You know, it, sure. there are sort of limits. But even so... With, with a little bit of Ned's help, yeah. he could have a, or Rob's help or whatever, he could have a pretty good life. We have to remember, you know, he's a very young guy. And I think the motivations that he has are just, I don't know, they're the kind of motivations that you might expect for a young man. Um, you know, I think his father admires someone who takes the black. Yeah. So that 
that's important to him. And I think he looks up to his uncle. And um, so both of those things are playing, I think, a big role. Um, some of the reasoning, it just isn't very good. Like he doesn't really want to be at Winterfell anymore because he doesn't feel like he's part of the family and he doesn't feel welcome. And and yet there are so many other places he could go than the wall. He seems to have kind of that as the only other option in his mind. But obviously, if he became a hedge knight, he wouldn't have to stay in Winterfell. Here's what he's thinking. He's looking at the King's Road and he's thinking about all the places he'll never visit. And then it says... Once he swore his vow, the wall would be his home until he was old as Maester Aemon. I have not sworn yet, he muttered. He was no outlaw, bound to take the black or pay a penalty for his crimes. He had come here freely, and he might leave freely, until he said the words. He need only ride on, and he could leave it all behind. By the time the moon was full again, he would be back in Winterfell with his brothers. Your half brothers, a voice, a voice inside him said, and Lady Stark who will not welcome you. So then he's having, he's having second and third thoughts, I suppose. But listen to how when he thinks about leaving, the only thing he thinks about is going back to Winterfell, where he's kind of unhappy. Yeah, that's the only life he's ever known, right? That's right, and and I think this is true of young people. They're not always very good. I mean, maybe this is true of all of us. We're not very good at seeing all of our options. Mm-hmm. Sure. We, we narrow it down for no good reason. And, you know, he should, he should have been considering other options. And if I could talk to him, that's what I'd What would you tell him his options were, Chad? I mean, well, you're a good I, person at giving this kind of life <laughs> advice. It seems like he's cut out to be a hedge knight. That's the thing that occurs to me. It also sounds like he wants to travel. And so it seems like he could, he could try traveling for a while and see what opportunities emerge. Uh, he probably hasn't even considered the possibility that he – might go overseas. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it's a dangerous world. And I, I myself don't know how wise any of those options really are. Cause I don't know that much about what, what's involved in becoming a hedge knight mm-hmm. or traveling in this world. But, but these are the kinds of things I think he should be thinking about if his other option is taking the black. I think he thinks that he wants to live a life of adventure. Mm-hmm. And I think he thinks if I, if they let me just range beyond the wall and become my own person, then I will equip myself well. I'm I'm the best rider of the bunch. I'm the best with the sword. I'm going to rise pretty fast here, and that will make me special in the way that Rob was special. Mm-hmm. That's what I think he's thinking. So, in other words, being a ranger, becoming a ranger is his way out of his kind of social predicament. So I would say a few things to him. Number one, I would say your perspective on Rob is going to be different in 10 years, no matter what you do. And and so that, sh- in my opinion, that probably shouldn't play a huge role. Mm-hmm. And number two, I would say you can take the black whenever you want. You can take it five years from now. And so there's no reason to rush into it. Right. Number three, I would wonder, and maybe you know the answer to this question. I would wonder um, what would happen if he sought adventure north of the wall but did not take the black. Is that not allowed? Is that Would somebody stop him from doing that? What if he showed up north of the wall and he told the, the black brothers, I want to arrange with you, but I'm not taking the black. Would they say no to him? Yeah, they'd kick him back. They, they, you think so? Go back to Ned Stark. Yeah. Pipsqueak. I mean, of course, he could absolutely sneak over the wall. Right. But that's like, Die, it's like dying. It's like stepping off the edge of the world. I, I, he could, I can't. He could see. just go with them. And the thing is about John is that he has the goods, so he would really make a contribution, even though. So he here's what he that. should do. There's no, there's no question in my mind what he should do. Okay. Should go back to Winterfell and learn everything there is to know about blacksmithing, from, mm-hmm. you know, the armorer in Winterfell. Then he should take the knowledge that he has, and a little bit of money. And she could go live in Dorne, be a blacksmith in Dorne. That's the best thing that you can do <laughs> if you're Jon Snow. He's not cut out for blacksmithing. <laughs> sure he is. He wants he adventure. Is. He wants to fight. He's a, he's a gifted swordsman. He's He wants to develop that part of his life. So Yeah, the climate probably wouldn't suit him. And I think you're underestimating the misery that Winterfell, that, you know, that Catelyn has inflicted on him at Winterfell. Maybe so. It could be. It could be. Um, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that he's come to love some of these brothers of the Night's Watch. 
Like, yeah. I think that he and Sam were as close as any of his other brothers were. What do you think about his play with Sam and, and protecting him yeah. and threatening the other guys who are mean to him and then mm-hmm. trying to get him a special position? Yeah. Well, one could argue, Chad, that this is the chapter that ultimately gets Jon Snow killed. Yeah. And it seems, you know, we're dealing with sort of Ned down south and Tyrion at the Eyrie, and the stakes all seem very high. The stakes seem very low at the wall right now. Mm-hmm. And yet, I do think that this chapter is exactly the kind of thing that Alistair Thorne will not forget. There was a chapter previous where he made a joke at Alistair Thorne's expense or something. Alistair Thorne is not going to kill you over that. Yeah. But what he does in this chapter, he goes to Maester Aemon. So he, like, sidesteps all of the ranks of the Night's Watch and tries to save Sam from the standard recruitment process mm-hmm. and really kind of cut Alistair Thorne off at the knees. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that he ever, I don't think that Alistair Thorne is ever going to forgive John for this. So you think it was politically unwise? It was politically unwise. Um, maybe so. Or, you know, it could be that like Alistair Thorne was going to be his enemy no matter what, but this is the kind of thing that's just, going to emasculate a man like Alistair Thorne, he's he's not going to forget it. And do you think it was a good idea to aggressively push Sam forward through the process? I mean, it definitely helped Sam, right? It might have saved Sam's life. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, so this is what I was thinking yeah. about. In, in the U.S. military, a certain number of people don't make it through basic training. It's, mm-hmm. it's not it's not a lot. I Googled it and it and it, I found a number of fifteen percent. Right. Um I mean, whatever you think about the US military, it's really good at training soldiers. So I suspect that a certain number of people should wash out. Yeah, I think that we should be thinking about the Night's Watch more like like a medieval monastic right. enclave or something. And they would, you know, there would be a process of being an acolyte for this very reason. You know, you come and live with us and you, you know, you shovel our manure and you clean our dishes for three or four years. And if you think this is the work for you, then you can choose to stay. Or if we think that you're a good fit here, Mm -hmm. you can choose to stay. But there's that sort of period of being an acolyte. But what the Night's Watch is, the Night's Watch also believes that they are like, holding back the darkness. And so they need as many men as they can get. So they're not going to wash Sam out. They're going to keep throwing men at him, keep throwing swords at him, trying to beat the cowardice out of him. Yeah. They're not going to wash him out. He's going to die. You don't think that Sam Tarly ever could have come through that process? Well, here's what John says. John says, look, if Sam's father couldn't make a man out of him, there's no way Alistair Thorne's going to make a man out of him. Mm-hmm. In the sense we're thinking, like, about manhood, right? Like, in other words, Alistair Thorne thinks that every man at the Night's Watch needs to be a warrior. It's not just the rangers or whatever. That even if you're a cook, if it comes down to it, you better be able to pick up a sword. You know, I I can understand the mentality that would think that. But the logic that John uses with Maester Eamon is like, look, this is a community. We need people that are talented in a number of ways. And someone who can read and write is really valuable. What, why are we throwing his life away? Yeah. So, I mean, it makes it makes a lot of sense. I do think that um, it certainly was a, a mercy to Sam to do this. It also could be the thing that gets John killed ultimately. Mm-hmm. One thing that struck me was how boyish all of these recruits are. Yeah. You know, you you get the sense that every now and again they they send up sort of this grizzled prisoner or whatever. Right. But it seems like this group of recruits, they're boys, you know? They're having snowball fights and they're squirting wine in each other's faces and and boyish concerns and, you know, they're they're talking like teenagers. You know, it feels a little bit like kids play, but at the same time, it's like this is actually a a major life decision that they're about to make. I think that's part of the reason I thought about military training. It, you know, most most guys that go into the military go pretty young. Sure. 
Yeah, I guess you're right. And there's something I think. It, I think it reminded me of that. You know, it's a big decision. I want to tell you a story about my son. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so yesterday he's kind of complaining about these people in his classroom. Yeah. He's like really annoyed. It's like he's aged out of this classroom. And I keep in mind this classroom includes seventh and eighth graders, and he's an eighth yeah. grader. So he calls. He calls a meeting with like all the students in the classroom, mm-hmm. and he proposes that they should ban three phrases from the classroom. Uh, that's what she said. <laughs> Your mom and manuts. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. And I don't. <laughs> I don't get the sense that like like he's not the kind of kid who's like gonna be offended by this kind of stuff but he <laughs> i think it's just like you, you those three phrases are used so often it's sure. become annoying <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> and that's a little bit like uh you know john snow's leadership i suppose it's sort of like it's, in, it's just formal uh, peer leadership yeah it's so funny that so every once in a while a boy gets it in his mind that that it's even conceivable that a group of boys of that age group <laughs> would be possible to lead in that way, you know? know. know. It's like, <laughs> you, what you have done now is you have increased the amount that those words will be used. Absolutely. Especially in your direction. Just to annoy him. Yeah, especially toward you, right? So that was a big mistake. <laughs> yeah, so it was a very <laughs> Jon Snow kind of move. all right here's a question for you why do the elites of the night's watch get to keep their family name like why does ben jen get get to keep being called a stark i thought that you left that kind of stuff behind when you became a brother of the night's watch is he called benjen stark in this yes uh... they keep calling benjen stark that's interesting and they call, you know, they call him Lord Mormont. You know, they call him the old bear a lot. But but he's, right. you know, he's Lord Mormont. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so it's like even, it's just one more sort of subtle clue that embedded class distinction is, you know, finds its way into the Night's Watch as much as anywhere else, I suppose. Yeah, but not Amon though, right? He doesn't have his. <laughs> he doesn't, and I and I was wondering about that. That's probably because specifically the Maesters do not reveal their family names. That's right. That's right. Interesting. So, but of course, that's supposed to generally be true for the Night's Watch as well. Right? I thought so too. And then you know, I was reading this chapter, and I was thinking, why is it? Why is Benjen always referred to as Benjen Stark? Um, all right. Well. Uh, notable introductions, Chad. Um, we hear of Guirin. We are introduced to Mathar and Cletus and Chet in their notably ugly faces. And interesting to me is that this, I think this is the first time that giants are mentioned in a way that makes you think, do they really believe in giants? Like we've had references before to like Hodor looks like a giant. Yeah. Or Maester Aemon calling Tyrion a giant or something like that. Right, but in this chapter, John says, "Hey, rangers, or at least the narrator tells us that rangers are the kinds of people that go up north and fight giants and monstrous snow bears." In a way that makes you think, like, I mean, certainly there are going to be legends about giants and whatnot, but you know, then the question is, you know, these men of the Night's Watch—they're supposed to be serious men, right? Who you know who do serious things. And so the question is, do they believe in giants? And of course, we know that eventually John will meet a giant. But I think this is the first time that concept is introduced. Right, right. Yeah, a little. Clearly, there's grumpkins and snarks are like always mentioned in a kind of dismissive way, right? Sure. Um, But giants maybe are a little less clear. A notable difference with the show. This particular chapter is very different than the show. And John writing off and thinking... Maybe I should just go south. All that sort of interior world of John's mind, that's not represented. John doesn't really write out in the show until he thinks that I need to go help my brother. Yeah. Um, And then he has that 
conversation with Maester Aemon. So a lot of what happens in this chapter is not represented in the show. Right. Okay, so this chapter, again, as all the John chapters do in this book so far, keep hitting me over the head with this reminder that Ben Jen Stark is missing. Mm-hmm. It's like over and over and over. You can't escape it. It's like constantly reminding the reader that Benjen Stark is missing. And to my mind, that means that eventually Martin has to pay this off, right? Yeah. So, Chad, what do you think happened to Ben? What's gonna, what, how are we going to pay off this theme? I, I don't really know. I don't really have a view. This is one of those times where you're just like, in all of John's chapters, he's talking about Uncle Benjen. And we never find out what happens. Like that's I mean, that's I, one of the things that I think well, I gotta find out. I have to find out what happens to Benjamin at some point. I mean, you must have a theory, right? I don't I don't know. I honestly don't know. Does the internet have a theory? Surely the internet has a theory. I'm not up at all these things. <laughs> the internet doesn't know either, Chad. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be uh, great. That'd be great to go on on like a Reddit forum and just have like 14 posts that just all say, yeah, we don't know. You're right. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Not enough information. You're right. We don't know. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And now Steve and I cover episode two of season five. Arya's in Bravos. Jamie and Braun are heading to Dorne. And John becomes Lord Commander because Maester Eamon breaks the tie with his vote. Here is comic Steve Osborne. Steve, I'm going to give you five different religions. And you're going to choose which one you would convert to if you had to convert. Okay. All right. So, faceless men. Uh, pros of the faceless men, you might get to assassinate a few people and you can shapeshift. Okay. Yeah. All right. They're kind of, uh, I, I guess the con would be they're a little cultish and they're, they're sort of a, they're sort of a death cult, you know, you may have to die. So that, that's a con in it. Seems, yeah, it seems problematic. All right. So, um, that's, a, that's faceless men. Uh, Arya is going to find herself in their temple, which is the House of Black and White. So they got a great temple. I mean, that's a, the other thing. Architecture and location is everything, right? You've got the old gods. So you you know about these gods. They, you know, you Stop might be able to. Them, right? No, no. These are the old gods. Oh, the these old. Like the tr- these are the tree worshiping. Like you're oh, going to yeah, worship, yeah, yeah. worship nature. You're going to worship a tree spirit. And you may get to, if you're lucky, you may get to warg into a wolf. It's like North, Northern Oregon type. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. So the pros of this religion are, you know, if you like nature, you get a lot of nature. Uh, the, the cons of this religion, is you might end up like fused into like the root system of a tree for the next 300 years. Gotcha. All right. So we got the, what do we got? The faceless men, the old gods. We got the red god, which is, his name is Rolor. This is the fire god. Mm-hmm. Fire God, pros of the fire God is you can see visions in the fire. Right. And you oh, can babies. you you can sometimes you can utilize a smoke baby to your own political ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cons are you might get burned at the stake. Right. This all came up during the RNC, I believe. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. All right, the Drowned God. The Drowned God is the Iron Islander God. Mm-hmm. And this the pros of this God are when you die, you get to go live under the sea with the Drowned God. So like a little mermaid situation. Okay. The cons of this religion are they're never going to teach you to swim. Because even though you're on the sea a lot, dying by drowning is actually a good thing. So you never learn to swim. Oh. 
Oh, you know, as we talked about in previous episodes, this might be right in my wheelhouse because I'm not that strong a swimmer. <laughs> That's right. right. Finally, Faith of the Seven. So this is, uh, you know, this is the religion of King's Landing. You got seven different faces of God. It's kind of a little bit Trinitarian, but instead of three, you got seven. And the pros of this religion are, hey, nice, steady. If you need a kid blessed at birth or a wedding or a funeral, these septs and septons and septas, they're going to they're going to be there nice and steady. The cons of this religion is it's all there's like they're married to politics. Everything. Everyone's got a political motive. So it's sort of like this religio political system. So rundown faceless men, old gods, relore, which is the fire god, drown god or the faith of the seven. It's kind of hard to not judge the, the religion by the followers, right? Kind of hard, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the Greyjoy situation doesn't seem great. They seem like a uh, a surly lot. They um, are, but they, but man, if you want to party, I bet you those guys can party. I bet, but I bet I bet there's a certain amount of of mildew that you have to tolerate. <laughs> That's uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, fire gods been on fire before. So like, here's the thing. Like, so, I mean, I've got some some interesting relationship with a lot of this, right? I mean, I've been on uh-huh. fire before, so uh, I know what it's like to be on the receiving end of burning. So I might not want to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. No. That could sure, be a problem. Um, but you're a fan of barbecue, right? I am a fan of barbecue, but I think I'm, I might be on the preferring the smoke side as opposed to you know the seared. I but, gotcha. that, but it's you know it's it's I'm open I'm open, um, I could get on board with with the, the old gods. Yeah, a little nature worship for you. Yeah, I could be a part okay. of the root system. There's worse things. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. It's good to know. You know me. I, I, you didn't ask, but I'll volunteer. Thank you. I'm all about faith of the seven men. Oh, okay. And I'll tell you why. A lot of fans don't think Faith of the Seven would be a good choice because really, what can they do? There's no magic behind it. It's all made up. It's all it's all politics behind the, the power behind Faith of the Seven is the politics, right? But man, just give me a good, you know, good officiate at my wedding. Give me someone to do my funeral. I know what to expect. If you give me religious magic, I will freak out. Okay. For me, it's a bonus. That there's not going to be any smoke babies or faceless men hanging around the religion. Okay. So that's me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, I guess it makes sense to when you put it in that in that way. But um, I think I'm probably the the voice in the wilderness on this topic. Yeah. Most fans would like some sort of supernatural power behind their religion. Not into it. Overrated. Well, then it becomes well, why have a religion, right? What's the it's what's comforting the man? Comforting. It's comforting. Huh? I like that you. I like social structure. I like that you're Linus, who's in full, who's fully aware that his blanket does nothing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm Dumbo with the magic feather, and I kind of know that the feather is kind of bogus. Yeah, like people think, like, oh, no, we lost the feather. We'll see if we can at least convince him that this new feather is the feather. And everybody's worried about it. You don't care. It's like, it's like these feathers no. are interchangeable. Yeah, no, I like I like Faith of the Seven for the same reason I like baseball. You know, it's it's all contrived, right? It has the um, illusion of of this romantic uh, yeah connection to to history. Sure, yeah, and I don't have to deal with uh, I don't have to deal with people like Melisandre. I just don't want to deal with those people. Right? They can yeah. they can go do their thing. I don't need it in my life. Interesting. All right, so something that um, something that titillated you about this episode? Titillation. Um, I I'm still I'm still into the wall. Well, John gets kind of an offer, right? Yeah, he gets an offer, and he gains uh, Lord Commandership. Well, yeah, he gets he, it. He gets offered the thing that he's wanted his entire life, right? right. Which is to be, to be a Stark, and not just a Stark, but be like the Stark, right? And then now and he's he, got. Now he has to battle between the oath, because again, he's a Stark. See, this this is the beauty of it, right? He can be a Stark by name, or he can be a Stark by honor. 
Yeah, right. And so that's well, what you know, he's all about honor, right? Well, he's a Stark man, deep down. That's right. And so, in order to be a Stark by name, he has to, in his mind, kind of turn his back on what he would consider the the oath keeping that would be uh, true to us to a Stark name. Mm-hmm. So I like that. I like that uh, tension. And if he had taken the offer from Stannis, which you could have, I mean, you could, I mean, who, no one would have faulted him for doing that. No. He said, finally, John's and it works out for more smart. people, right? I mean, it works out. There's less divisiveness within the wall. Right, right, right. That's right. I mean, from from a very sort of, like, the consequences of doing that may be better for the most people. Right. Right. Uh, but if, because he doesn't take that, now he finds himself as the Lord Commander. So, yeah, his character is getting interesting, for sure. I like the scene also at the wall. I like the scene between Sam, Gilly, and Shireen. Mm. So, Shireen is Stannis' daughter. Right, right. And she's teaching Gilly to read. And then Sam's kind of, you know, he's reading in the same room. And... I I kind of think that that combination of characters works for some reason. Like I feel like this is, we have a little island of misfit toys yeah, thing happening. Sure. I think all these characters are. I mean, they've all known pain, and they're all curious. And I like that Gilly has someone else besides Sam to interact with. Yeah, because I think that the the, the Sam Gilly thing was kind of getting a little bit stale for me. Right. Yeah, I wasn't because it wasn't enough to keep me like really. I'm like, okay. I mean, I like Sam and Gilly's relationship enough on the side, but if you're going to keep giving it to me the way it was, I'm not. Yeah, yeah. It's just not working. Yeah, I think that Gilly and Shireen are both characters that really need someone. They're they're coming from much different places, but they kind of need each other in this particular time and place. So I kind of like that. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. Um, something that didn't work for you. I don't know if I'm gonna love Dorn. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you and a lot of people. Oh really? Yeah, and you know what? This is not just a TV thing because there's a lot of book readers. That are just exhausted by the Dornish plot. Really? And it's sort of like, oh, come on, George. Just wrap it up. No one cares about Dorn. Okay. Nobody cares about Dorn. And he just spends like hundreds and hundreds of pages on Dorn. That's kind of, that, I feel a little validated for somebody who's just going through this thing, you know, obviously yeah. for the first time. And I was I was kind of into Oberyn, and then I feel like he served his purpose, so I don't need any more yeah, of the, that. Boy, Dorne would be a lot more interesting if Oberyn was still around. I think that's that's my point. Like you took the thing about this place that at least I was any bit invested in, and you popped it like a blackhead. And now I, what do I do? Right. Now I will say this: so Prince of Dorne, mm-hmm. the guy who's just kind of sitting sitting there the whole episode. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I am a little bit interested in what, what happens with this guy because I feel like this is the first guy that we've met who is a little bit like, you know what? I don't want to go to war. I'm not into it. Yeah. Uh, I think peace is better for our people. These people that want to go to war, uh, they just want blood and guts everywhere. And I would rather simply be isolationist. Um, and defend our borders. I don't think that we've seen that character yet in the show. Yeah, I, I, that, that's it. that makes sense. And it, so yeah. I think that it brings with it a different set of consequences. You know, someone with wealth and power who just decides, nope, not getting into the, the war game. This is all part of my five-year plan. Uh, everything's everything's going according to what I wanted. Um, I'm good. Yeah, that's right. So I find that guy somewhat interesting. So I don't know. I think I'm not. I think that I kind of I'm a little bit jaded because of the general consensus of the fandom about the Dornish plot. You want to be the sort of the counterpoint. Let's let's, let's give Dorn a chance. I think I'd like to give Dorn a chance. But I will say this just based on this episode. I like that guy. I thought that guy's like, ooh, this is interesting. We haven't seen this type before. And I also like 
this whole Braun Jamie exchange. Yeah, that that's got legs. And that's got that's part of the Dornish plot too. Okay. And I yeah, kind of like the right. idea that Braun has finally got you know what he's been promised by these Lannisters. All of these, you know, they finally paid their debts. Right. And he's like jumped up from you know sellsword or cutthroat to knight, and now he's got a you know highborn wife, and he's gonna get a you know by hook or crook he's gonna get a castle, and so he's finally you know cashing out. And then Jamie's like, "Hey, hey, one last heist, man!" Right, exactly. One last heist. <laughs> I give you a better girl and a bigger castle. Yeah. So far, I know that the Dorn plot doesn't do it for a lot of people, but so far, I'm liking it. I'm liking the I'm liking the Braun and Jamie together. I'd like to see them get into some hijinks. All right, uh, hijinks yeah. go a long way. Yeah, I tell you something, I really like Steve. Hmm. I like Jamie's leather jacket. Yeah, that's a nice touch, huh? It ticks, it ticks you out of it for a second, but then it does feel like it's it's Han Solo. <laughs> I was, it was a little bit jarring. It was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, we, but this was an yeah. option. He's he's got the Fonz jacket on. <laughs> I know. Did, did you ever have a leather jacket? Uh, I did have a leather jacket once. It was Heather's leather jacket, and that she didn't want to wear it anymore. I think, or she liked the way it looked on me. And zippers, zippers. All right. I uh. And she didn't like the way it looked on you, but you liked the way it looked. No, she liked the way it looked on me, so that's why uh, she, she gave it up. But, like, deep down in your soul, you knew you weren't a leather jacket? I think out? so. I think that's accurate. Give me yeah. a corduroy blazer. Sure. No, I get it. I get it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like you've got to decide one of these days whether or not you're a house coat kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if, if you decide you're not, then there's no reason to keep the house coat around. You're right. Yeah. Same thing with a leather jacket. Yeah, you got to be that guy. I don't think either one of us are that guy, Steve. I don't think so. I don't think we are. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, earlier in my life, that would have been a little depressing to me to know that I don't have the option. Right. Now I find it liberating. I once had a leather jacket. It was like suede. Uh huh. And uh, this was like back in the day where you had to buy buy like a ticket at the airport. Oh. And because because I had some kind of voucher and I went to the airport and I and I didn't have enough money in my bank account to like buy the airplane ticket. I was, you know, I was like 20 years old. And so, like, I walked around the airport and I tried to sell my leather jacket. Wow. I needed 30 bucks to get on the selling airplane. your leather jacket for a plane ticket. I sold. well, I had a, like a voucher for like 70 bucks and the airplane ticket was 100. So I just needed to sell the thing for 30 bucks. Wow. And I think I sold it for 35. Wow, that seems um, weird. Yeah, <laughs> it was weird. I sold it to a guy who was like, you know, six inches taller than me, and the leather jacket definitely didn't fit him. But I told him he looked great. <laughs> wow, it's it's weird. It's like it, it's it's the most non-scam scam. <laughs> I mean, he knew he knew it was too short for him. He just needed someone to sort of. Help him live his dream of becoming the leather jacket. He's like, look, if I can even just turn this into 40 bucks. <laughs> wow. So I got the money. Yeah, I was able to, you know, get the money, get on the airplane. And, uh, and that man's yeah. name was Jamie Lannister. <laughs> For this week's Bird's Eye View, I will include an excerpt of my conversation with Ian McGuinness. Here we talk a little bit about the parallels between the Night's Watch and a few medieval militaristic orders. I've had a pet theory for a long time that the Night's Watch is really a monastic community, but this is the first time I've been able to talk over this theory with someone who's an expert on the topic. Here is Dr. Ian McGuinness. So you mentioned the Teutonic Knights and the Knights Templar, and you can definitely correct me here, but those orders, they, they viewed themselves as an arm of the church. Am I right yeah. in that, thinking that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, they, they see themselves as being like a monastic order. Yes. Um, right. but, but just for, for fighting men. That's right. And if I remember my history correctly, these militaristic orders 
really did pattern themselves after a monastic brotherhood in many ways. Yeah, they, 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 uh, they're set up in a similar mm-hmm. way that, that the order by which they, they live by is, is, is based on monastic uh, predecessors. Um, and yes, there is the, the religious side of things is, is the kind of underpinning, yeah. although in part that's because the church chooses to support them. Um, but in terms of what they do, in the field, it is you know intensely militaristic, and it, when they're actually in combat, I think there's, there's very little to distinguish them between mm-hmm. between them and and the rest of the knights round about them. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I was uh, I always considered the Knights Watch to be something of a hybrid between the monastic orders and these militaristic orders. But if you think about it, these militaristic orders initially were a branch off of a religious ideology in the first place. In other words, there are ways to serve God in the world from this perspective. And and sometimes it's just to, you know, father children and raise crops. Um, <laughs> you know, so, and some, sometimes it's to give up everything and go live in a monastery. But of course, if you gave up everything and lived in a monastery, that was almost like a higher calling. Mm. And, and of course, correct me again, but some of these first crusades were propagandized as this is a way to be a almost a monk with a sword do i have that right yeah i I think to an extent but um i don't know i I think the way that the way that the orders kind of develop that they they grow somewhat organically there is Hmm. you know like the the hospitalers for example grow up on the back of 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 the the hospitals set up to 10 for pilgrims Hmm. and that even the templars grow out of a, a need to defend and protect pilgrims as they travel to the Holy Land. I mean, they, they grow right. into very different things, the Templars in particular, and grow into this massive, uh, financially lucrative <laughs> group. But 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 at their source, I, I think they are something a bit different. And yes, it's it's intrinsically tied into to the Crusade and to pilgrimage. The orders are adopted by the Church, and that's where the the rule comes from and things. But I think actually they they do grow up organically. They're not they're not created by the church. It's it's one of those cases where the the church signs off on it after the fact right. because it, it thinks this is a useful a useful arm. But like all new developments, vaguely religiously affiliated, you know, they they, yeah. they could potentially be problematic at the start. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I would like the Franciscan. I would say so. I would say so. <laughs> so. I also want to hear you talk a little bit about the. Uh, you said that George goes out on a limb. <laughs> tell me, tell me more about that. Well, I just, I don't know. I think he's kind of crafting something that that is is his own. Um, uh-huh. You know that because I think I was I was I was looking into some of this before, and the the suggestion was that. The Night's Watch are the kind of the dark side to the King's Guard, who are like the the light, but yeah. but both perform a similar function in as much as they're you know they're, they're there to protect. They're there as a a group of selfless, perhaps quasi uh, monastic type, mm-hmm. but military figures. Mm-hmm. I, I just wonder with with the Night's Watch, perhaps the original idea of it, it is idealistic mm. um, but obviously where we are when we come to it now it, it has sunk pretty low right um you know right. the, it, it, it it has to take in the waifs and the strays the criminals right. the the treasonous um because, because nobody else will join it um and yet uh, obviously as we go on to discover performing an incredibly important duty is just that the importance of it has been forgotten over the years well, yeah, the impetus for it has been forgotten over the years. They 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 think that they're battling wildlings. You know, they're holding oh. they're holding back the darkness in the form of wildlings. Clearly, the, the wall is for a different purpose. Um, oh. I did want to talk a little bit about whether or not we should think of the Night's Watch as a secular institution. Oh. So, let me ask you this in a different way. Were any of these militaristic orders, let's say in the, I don't know, the twelve hundreds, would they have considered themselves secular? I, that's a good question. Um, I, I think, I, I think they would have to, it, to to a, a decent degree, um, and I say that because because while 
while it is still a, a, a religious order and one absolutely, as I said, uh, supported by the church um, uh, and one in which you know that that rule of life which is is based on the monastic life mm-hmm. uh, is, is key to how the how the organization functions you know how your day-to-day life is uh, at the same time you are doing very non-monastic things you know uh, yeah, yes you may well be looking after the sick you may well be helping the poor guarding pilgrims um but you're also involved in negotiations you're involved in mm-hmm. military action whether offensive or, or defensive you know that the, the, they are a lot more worldly than monastic communities i don't know not all monastic communities are insular um you know you have you have ones who go out into the world as well right. but I, I think i think the military orders are something else again uh, just in large part because of that military function i don't think you know the the knighthoods and and medieval warfare is intrinsically tied up with with religious ideas. Uh, you can't separate the two, uh, but I, I still think that those. Yeah, those I think were... that the last point that you're making that there's it's hard to separate these things is yeah. is what has always kind of struck me as most compelling. But I think that um, yeah, you know, I, I I also want to accept that of course things that. <laughs> have religious beginnings are do not necessarily evolve in that way i suppose mm. no and 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 just because you know taking it back to to martin but just because john and sam take their vows and indeed everyone else does as well doesn't mean they stick to them <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah in, in any way <laughs> <laughs> My thanks again to Dr. McGinnis. Ian will be back with me to talk about the next Tyrion chapter. Finally, I'll mention again that Season 5 has a couple running themes. One is Knights and Chivalry. The other is Trial by Combat. If you have questions or comments about either of these themes, you can email me at book at baldmove.com. And of course, if I don't feel like I can address your comment or question... Maybe, just maybe, I'll be able to find an expert on the topic and bring you back my research. So that's book at baldmove.com. And that's all for this week.